This morning, our our passage of Scripture that we're going to unpack is John chapter 18. We're going to finish that up, about the second half of that chapter, and then make our way into the first part of John chapter 19. And what we're tracing in this section of the Gospel of John is the death of Jesus, the build-up to it, and then ultimately the death itself, and then the implications of that death, everything that comes next. We're slowly working through that story because it's the pinnacle. It is the thing that, that, that this story has been building to from the very beginning of John's gospel. This is what Jesus came for. So we want to take it slow. We want to make sure we get all the details, understand what it is that we're reading so that we can savor it and learn from it in the way that we're meant to. And last week, we saw John showing us about Jesus by contrasting Jesus with the character of Peter. That was the sort of storytelling device that he used to help us, to help the the, the material come alive. He showed us Peter, and he showed us Jesus side by side, and compared to Peter, Jesus looked beautiful. We get another one of those contrasts today. The The character that John uses to help us understand Jesus better in this section of the story is a guy named Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was not a Jew. Not like Jesus and Jesus' followers. Not like the leaders that we saw in the story last week. He was a Roman. In fact, he was a Roman military governor. Someone that, that the emperor of Rome had put in place over the section of the Roman Empire in which Israel was the, the hub. Caesar had put Pilate there to run the show. Because the empire was too big for him to do it all himself. Pilate enters our story where the Jewish leaders have taken Jesus, hoping to have him killed, needing the authority that only Rome could give them. They've taken Jesus to Pilate to press their case. That's where he enters our story. Now, here's the thing I want to mention before we get into the details. John's gospel gives us more information about Pontius Pilate and the back and forth with Pilate that Jesus experienced. He gives us more information about Pontius Pilate than all three of the other gospel writers combined. Matthew, Mark, and Luke put them all together, everything they say about Pilate, and you don't get as much as John alone gives us. Now, when we, anytime we see something like that, our, our ears should perk up. Our eyes should, should come into focus because here we have something really important to this writer. He needed us to know some things about Pilate that the other gospel writers chose not to include. Why? Well, John has told us himself why he tells us everything that he tells us. All through our study, we've been going back to this purpose statement of his book. This is what John says in John chapter 20. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, could have told you a lot of things I didn't tell you. But these are written. I've told you what I've told you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So let me make it real plain. Why does John tell us more about Pilate than the other three gospel writers combined? Because we need to know about Pilate if we're going to believe in Jesus. So how does focusing on Pilate help us believe in Jesus? There's the question. That's what we need to answer today. I want you to think about Pilate and the character that we're going to unpack together this morning as a sort of black 
canvas on which a portrait of Jesus is being painted in this bright yellow color. The blackness of Pilate, the ugliness of his character, is the backdrop against which the beauty of Jesus shines forth in perfect crystal clarity and with brilliant, colorful beauty. The theme of this contrast, this back and forth between Jesus and Pilate, is the theme of rulership, kingship, authority. Because one of the things the Bible assumes from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden all the way through, is that you've got to serve somebody. Everybody's serving somebody, whether you realize it or not. And Pilate represents one all-too-common option, one all-too-common model of a ruler that people end up serving. The ruler who rules his people, not for their good, but for his own who's driven by self-interest and not the good of the people, who rules to serve himself and not them. And it's against that backdrop that the kind of ruler Jesus is pops out so that you can't miss it. Because here we have, in a way that no other human ruler has ever been, someone who rules at the cost of his life to give his people everything that they need. Pilate gives us a self-serving ruler. Jesus is a self-giving ruler. That's the bottom line. We've got to get there. Let's unpack the details together to get there. It's a long passage. So I think the best way to do it is going to be for us to read scenes and talk about them as they come. Rather than reading the whole thing all at once and then going back through the whole thing, I want to take you into it step by step. And we're going to go into it together asking just a couple of basic questions. What sort of ruler was Pilate? I want to make sure that's clear from the details of the story. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time because that's where John spends most of his time. What sort of ruler was Pilate? And then once we've got, once we've got an image of Pilate in our, in our minds, then we're going to ask, what sort of ruler is Jesus? What do we get from this story and from the bigger picture of John that we've been looking at together for the last year? What sort of ruler was Jesus? And then we want to end by driving it home. It's going, to, it's going to confront you, each and every one of you, with a choice. What sort of ruler are you going to serve? Because you don't get to hear about Jesus and not make a decision. You're going to serve him or you're not. He calls for your allegiance. What will you do? That's where we're headed this morning. Now, one more detail I want to give you before I read the opening scene. Something that's important to know about, the, about what you're going to read, what you're going to hear as we read together. This governor over Israel, this Pontius Pilate, was in a job that he probably didn't want. Now, we tend to have an outsized view of Israel's importance in the ancient world because it's what we know, right? We know a lot more about Israel than we know about even Rome or Greece. But Israel was a backwater to the Romans. Their empire stretched as far west as, as England, the British Isles. And as far east as, uh, it depends on what time, what, what, what year, but it went way east. Think India. It was huge. And Israel was barely a blip on their radar. So governor, military governor over Israel was not a job that any good Roman upperclassman would have, would have dreamed of as a boy. Now this was the place they put the people who weren't good enough for home. 
And, and what we know about Pilate from history, which is pretty good, besides the Bible, there's lots of, of other literature that talks about him and what his reign was like. What we know about him is that he ruled with the kind of ruthlessness that a guy rules with when he's not happy to be where he is. To the Romans and to Pilate, Israel would have been a land filled with strange and unruly religious people with a, a boatload of customs that just didn't make sense and probably seemed silly to them. No, nobody was celebrating multiculturalism at the time. You didn't go seek out you know, great ethnic food like we do today because we enjoy a variety of tastes and a variety of cultures. No, no different meant inferior. So the fact that Israel had all of these customs, these traditions, these religious practices that were so important to them would have made them strange, and that strangest would have looked like inferiority. They were not people Pilate wanted in his life. But he couldn't get himself out of dealing with their issues. Their issues just kept bubbling up to the surface for him. Think on this as we read the opening scenes of, the, of his interaction with the Jewish leaders and with Jesus. If you would, please stand with me in honor of God's word while we read the first scenes. I won't ask you to stand for every reading, but we'll, we'll do it this morning for this first reading to symbolize our, our uh, uh, respect and admiration for the word that is life to us. I'm going to read uh, verse 28 through verse 40. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they wouldn't be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. 
What sort of ruler was Pilate? In these first scenes, I think we see that Pilate was a ruler who toyed with people to serve his own ego. There's your first character trait. We're going to look at three character traits that, that help us flesh out what sort of man this was. First one is that he was the sort of guy, the sort of ruler who toyed with people to serve his own ego. I remember my mama telling me when I was a kid that the big kids who were picking on me who are throwing their weight around, or always talking about themselves, bragging about their own accomplishments. That those sorts of kids put on a show of their own strength and talk about themselves a lot because really deep down they're insecure. And she was right. They need to push others down to try to lift themselves up. This seems to be what Pilate's up to here. I think it comes out in both the way he treats the Jews and in the way he treats Jesus. Now, the way he treats the Jews, it might not have been obvious to you that that's what's going on. But remember back, if you were here last week, you may remember that that when the Jews came to arrest Jesus, they had soldiers with them. They'd been given a detail of Roman soldiers. You don't get a detail of Roman soldiers without going first through the guy who commands them, the military governor. They would have had to check that out with Pilate first. So the Jews think... They already have a sort of pre-existing relationship worked out, understanding worked out between themselves and Pilate about what's going to happen with Jesus. They know that they need Pilate to get Jesus killed. They've already worked that out with him, and he gave them the soldiers to go and get Jesus. So when they arrive, Pilate says, what accusation do you bring against this man? Uh Uh-oh, he's going to make them work for it. He's He's already told them, communicated to them that he's with them. That's why he let them have the soldiers. But when they show up, he's opening the legal proceedings. What charge, what accusation do you bring against this man? I think that explains their answer, which otherwise just would seem so petty and strange for a a weak people who need this guy on their side. Why Why would they push back against him? Their answer to him is, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. They don't even give the charge. They're just like, we, we, we told you already. You remember that, right? That conversation we had. We wouldn't have brought him here if he wasn't guilty. Why are you making us work for it? And then he's dismissive in the way that he responds to them. Take him yourselves and, and judge him according to, to your laws. Translation, it, it's not worth my time. You people and your religious disputes. Their true motivation comes out in their response to Pilate. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They want Jesus taken out. But Pilate is playing a game with them. Because he doesn't care about them any more than he cares about justice. He's got to deal with it. He may as well have a little bit of fun. He may as well remind them who wears the pants in this relationship. I think that same attitude comes out in his conversation with Jesus. You will come back over some of the details that Jesus speaks to Pilate about his kingship and it not being of this world and And him coming into this world for the very purpose of being a king. We're going to come back to that. For now, just notice Pilate's demeanor in going back and forth with Jesus. I think of him as like a big cat who's caught a mouse. And he's just kind of toying with him. He's letting him run a little ways. This is how he thinks of it himself. And then stopping him, pulling him back. Letting him run a little ways. Stopping him, pulling him back. He's having a little fun with a guy that he knows he's about to have killed. That's the kind of guy that Pilate is. So you're the king of the Jews, he says to Jesus. 
How small Jesus must have looked to him, huh? Bound, brought to him by a mob, powerless to resist what they were doing to him. And you think you're a king. Jesus turns the tables on him. Surely he wasn't expecting what Jesus says next. So are you asking for yourself? Because somebody told you. In other words, do you really want to know? Maybe what he's getting at is, do you want to know as a Roman? Or as one who's interested in Jewish history? Do you want to know if I'm a threat to Caesar? You're asking for yourself as Roman military governor? Or do you want to know if I'm really claiming to be the Messiah, like those who brought me here told you that I was? What do you really want to know? Because Jesus can't just answer him. Jesus is a king. But he's not the king that Pilate thinks he is. And he's not the king that the Jewish leaders think that he is. Pilate reacts to him much like he had reacted to the Jewish leaders with this condescension, dismissiveness. Am I a Jew? Do you really think I would care for myself what you think about yourself? You little man. Am I a Jew? You're here because they brought you here. That's how I read the conversation. Get on with it. What have you done? Just tell me. And Jesus doesn't play his games. He may be the mouse that can't get away from the cat, but he's the one who, but he, he ran there on purpose. He's not looking to get free. My kingdom's not of this world. He won't back down from the kingship, but he's going to clarify it. My kingdom's not of this world. If it was, they'd be fighting for me. They're not because I'm not surprised by what's going on here. Indeed, Pilate says, so, so you are a king. What you're saying is you're a king. Jesus says, for this purpose I came into the world. For what purpose? To be a king. I was born to be a king. I came into the world from where I was to be a king. The word became flesh to be a king. It's all about being a king. And everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. They know. They know. Pilate's just as dismissive as ever. Pfft, truth. What is truth? Whatever it might be, I won't be lectured on it by the likes of you. That's how I read what's going on here. Pilate playing the hand that was dealt, trying to throw his right around and remind these little people that they aren't important. Toying with them to build up his own ego. That's the kind of ruler he was. But one thing he learned clear enough through his conversation with Jesus, that is that this guy is no threat to anybody. I find no guilt in him. That's Pilate's conclusion. He goes back out to the Jews. He didn't do anything. Sets the stage for the next development in the story, the next dimension in our, the answer to our question about what sort of ruler this man is. The next scene we're going to read shows that Pilate is the sort of ruler who manipulates other people, even cruelly manipulates them to protect his own public image. He's toyed with people that aren't important to him to serve his own ego. Now he manipulates people to protect his own public image. Turn to chapter 19, beginning of chapter 19. Let me read the, the first section of this chapter. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. 
last thing we were told is that he found no guilt in him. And now he takes Jesus and he flogs him anyway. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I don't know there's a better example of Pilate as self-serving ruler than this scene. Because he has already acknowledged that his job as Roman governor is done. He has weighed the case. He's heard the charges. He's found no guilt in this man. That should be it. Case closed. And the next thing he does is beat Jesus cruelly. Submit him to mockery and abuse. Sends him out to his soldiers to have a little fun with him. They beat him while they mock his claim to kingship. They drive thorns into his scalp. They put a robe around him that was supposed to look like a king's robe so that he would just look ridiculous. Now, why would Pilate go to all this trouble? For a man that he already has acknowledged is not guilty. The reason that Pilate goes to all this trouble is that he wants to let him go, since he doesn't deserve to die, but he wants to let him go without looking like he's letting him go. He wants to look tough, but at the same time avoid making a hard or an unpopular decision. Once their work is done, Pilate brings Jesus back out to the leaders Behold the man, he says to them. This is the guy you're so worried about. And what a sight Jesus must have been. His back would have been in tatters by now. His head would have been streaming with blood and sweat from the thorns. He would have had this ridiculous purple robe on. He would have looked so small and so weak. This is the man. That you're so worried about. Behold. Pilate assumes that when they see Jesus. They'll forget about crucifying him. They'll be satisfied that they've roughed him up. And exposed him for the weakness that is his. And that they'll be satisfied. 
he gets to look tough, but he doesn't have to egregiously go against the justice system. But when the Jewish leaders see Jesus, it only stirs them up further. They're like sharks who've got a taste of blood in the water. They see him standing there, barely able to stand, weak and beaten, and they want more. Crucify him, they cry. Pilate, he's done protecting Jesus now, but he still doesn't want to get his own hands dirty. Okay, well, take him yourself. I don't find any guilt in him. It's not my problem. He's trying to wash his hands, literally, in the other gospel. We're told that he washes his hands to indicate that this is not his decision. What kind of ruler is this? This guy thinks he's powerful, and he's going, he's going to great lengths to avoid using any power. He doesn't want to do the manly thing and step up and take responsibility. Take him yourselves and crucify him. I don't find any guilt in him. It's what's so... It's that point that comes out to me in such a pitiful way in his last words with Jesus. He comes back in for one last examination, and Jesus isn't talking. Jesus is done. He's not playing anybody's game. He is there on his father's mission. He knows what's coming, and he doesn't need to say anything else. He says nothing. And Pilate, in his pitiful way, you don't speak to me? You give me no answer? Don't you know that I have the power to kill you or to set you free? Isn't it, isn't it pitiful? This man who's been spending this entire scene so far trying to avoid making any hard decisions, bragging about his power to Jesus. And Jesus sees straight through it. Pilate, you would have, you're not the point here, basically is what he says. You would have no authority unless God had put you here in this, in this place for this time to do his purpose as I go to my death. You're here Because of his purposes, you are a pawn in somebody else's game. In fact, he says, the ones who handed me over to you, they have more guilt than you do. Because they're more of a player in this game than you are. You're just there. That's the bottom line, I think, in what Jesus says to him. Pilate is the kind of leader who is trying to pull strings. He's trying to manipulate, even at the cost of Jesus' physical well-being to save his own public image as this tough guy. And it's not working. That brings us to the last, the last layer to this man's character that comes out in the story. It's in the last scene. Final strokes in this portrait of Pilate that John is drawing for us come out in verses nine, uh, chapter 19, verses 12 to 16. Here's what, here's what these verses tell us. From then on, after his conversation with Jesus, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Jesus is innocent and Pilate 
knows it, and he tries to turn him loose. He's no longer toying with these people. He's no longer just trying to save his public image. Now he's trying to get out of the situation altogether. But the Jewish leaders, the same ones who had been his playthings earlier in this story, they're now the ones pulling the strings. He is their puppet, and he moves like they choose for him to move. Because they know his main weakness. They know that any whiff of disloyalty means losing this job he probably didn't want in the first place. Maybe even losing his head. So at the thought of him releasing Jesus, they cry out, We'll tell Caesar. If you release this man who claims to be a king, you're not Caesar's friend. This is Pilate's chief weakness. What sort of ruler is Pilate? (laughs) He's the sort of guy who toys with people to serve his own ego. He's the sort of guy who manipulates people, even cruelly manipulates people. To serve his own public image. But above all. Pilate is the sort of ruler who would crush the innocent. To save his own skin. He sits Jesus down for judgment at the place of judgment. Gets in one more jab at the Jews. Behold your king. And he delivers Jesus over to be crucified. A man he knows doesn't deserve it. There's Pilate. That's what sort of ruler he is. So we go back to our first question. Why does John spend so much time on Pilate? Everything John tells us, he tells us so that we can believe in Jesus. We need to know about Pilate so that we can believe in Jesus. Because John believes in the power of a good contrast. That to see Jesus for who he is... We need to see someone else that Jesus is not like. We need to see them in all of their ugliness so we see Jesus in all of his beauty. Remember the context for this story. Jesus, quote, or Jesus comment to Pilate about Pilate only being there because of what God is doing, not because of Pilate's own authority that he's got built into himself. It's only because you're a pawn in the game that we are playing that you're here. It evokes this bigger picture we've been seeing for a long time in John, that Jesus is in absolute control of everything that happens to him on the way to his death, and he dies on purpose. So all the things that we, that we saw Jesus say about kingship, about him having a kingdom not of this world, about him coming into the world for this very purpose, to be a king, all of those words, all of those words are read in light of his resolve to die. They're not called into question by his resolve to die. You see, what Pilate thinks, what the Jewish leaders think, is that if they crucify him, they have exposed him as a fraud. And everyone will see that he's not who he claimed to be. That's behind every mocking, hail the king of the Jews. Behind the robe, behind the crown, behind all of it. They think they're exposing this man as a fraud, but what we know, because we've seen the big story, is that every blow they strike against him, every decision that Pilate hands down over him, 
every step in the story moves him closer to the throne for which he has come into the world. It's all part of the plan. And nothing happens to him that he doesn't choose. What that means for us, friends, is that in seeing him act here, we get a glimpse into what sort of king he's come to be. And his kingdom is a kingdom that is not of this world. Pilate is a ruler of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. What sort of ruler is Jesus? Well, Pilate was a ruler who didn't care about his subjects. He didn't know them, didn't care to know them, didn't understand their ways, didn't want to take any responsibility for their concerns. Ultimately, Pilate was a ruler who served himself by abusing the innocent. But Jesus is a ruler who gave himself to redeem the guilty. Jesus is a king not of this world. He doesn't make himself a name for himself on the backs of others. He makes a name for his people by the stripes on his own back. He's a king who doesn't need to exploit his people any more than he needs his people to take up arms in his defense. Doesn't need that. He's a king who needs Nothing from anyone, but gives everything to those who have nothing. He is the shepherd. That's one of the most beautiful images of his rule that he's given us. Jared read the passage from earlier in John. What kind of king is Jesus? Oh, he's a, he's a king who's like a shepherd. Who, did, who is not hired to take care of the sheep. He owns them. And that means he knows their names. He knows what they like to eat for breakfast. He knows what makes them afraid. He knows them. And he, as the shepherd who owns the sheep, lays down his life for them. That's the sort of ruler Jesus is. Now here's the question for you guys. It's a question for every one of us. And a question for every person who has ever heard the name of Jesus. What sort of ruler are you going to serve? Because everybody serves somebody. I want you to imagine for yourself right now an example in your life, someone or something that you serve. It orients what you do. It orients what you love. It orients how you're going to use your resources. It's what you want to please or the approval you seek to gain. What do you serve? Who is it? A relationship you don't want to do without some sort of career objective, some boss that you're hoping to win over to your side? Who is it that you're serving? Think about that. You got that person, that thing in your mind? Now ask yourself this question and answer truly. Does who or what you serve, do they care about you? Do they know you and know what you need? Do they care what happens to you? Friends, Jesus owns up in this passage to the fact that he is a king. And that means that Jesus came to demand allegiance. When Jesus came to you, he came asking you to submit to his kingdom with everything you are and everything that you have. There is no part of yourself that you can carve out and insulate 
from Jesus and his claim on you. That's true. Jesus demands everything. And ultimately, that's why this picture of what sort of king that he is matters so much. Come back to me now. Wherever you might have been through the ups and downs of this story, come with me now for this last minute. Why do you need to know all this stuff about Pilate and what kind of ruler he is? Why do you need to hear Jesus own up to the fact that he came into this world to be a king? That's everything to him. Why do you need to know what kind of king Jesus is? Because following King Jesus is not easy. You're, let me make a promise to you. Your life is going to include two things as a follower of Jesus. This is not a maybe, this is a guarantee. Your life is going to include things that will happen to you. Seasons you'll have to endure. Experiences you never would have chosen for yourself. Hard things. Your life is going to include that as a follower of Jesus. And you'll know that if Jesus' claims are true, he could have kept those things from happening to you. He could have protected you. That's going to happen. The other thing I can promise you that will happen is that as you understand more about Jesus and his word, there are going to be commands there that Jesus gives to you, that he holds over your life, that you are not going to like, and that you may not fully understand. But that is going to happen. He's going to command you and claim authority over what you do with your money, what you do with your body, how you're supposed to treat what sorts of people and under what circumstances. He is going to inject himself into the things that you're hardwired to think are private. There's going to be things that happen to you, hard things. There's going to be commands that come to you, hard commands that you won't like or understand. And when you come up against something in your life that you don't like, or some command that Jesus gives you that you don't want to obey, in those moments, friends, in those moments, you're going to be tempted to think that Jesus is a king more like Pilate. Someone who, someone who thinks of you as a pawn in his game. Someone who doesn't care about your feelings, about your needs or your experiences. You're going to feel like at best you're not a priority for the one who pulls the strings and makes the rules. Like maybe that one pulls the strings and makes the rules for his own self-seeking motives, not because he cares for you. That's what you'll be tempted to think. And for those times, those are the times that you need to know that Jesus is not a king like that. Jesus is not a king like that. He is the king who gives himself for his people. Who sacrifices his own life so that his people, people have everything that they need. He is a king who is past your understanding. And he is most certainly a king who is beyond your control. That's true. 
But everything that Jesus allows in your life and everything that Jesus commands from you, he allows in your life and he commands from you for the same reason, the very same reason that he gave up his own life. Because what he wants for you, what he knows best how to provide for you, is that you would have life and have it abundantly. Oh, friends, look, look to Jesus. Behold your King in all his beauty and rest in him. Father, break us of our self-reliance that keeps us from fully enjoying all that should be ours because Jesus has come because he has lived and died and risen again, because he reigns now from his throne. That reality is an inheritance for us that we want to live with and from, protect us from everything in us that resists his rule and help us to trust in him, to truly rest in everything he is for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I behold thee as thou art, 
continue to sing this morning uh, we're going to take up an offering and parents I invite you to go ahead and go and get your children and then join us back here for the benediction and for the last song together <laughs> 